Good morning, church. We serve an awesome God. And for that, we are eternally grateful because He is magnificent and mighty and wonderful and gracious and patient and kind. Oh, we got so much to be thankful for. It is great to see you here this morning, both members and visitors alike. Those who are here present, those who are online, uh, we thank you for your presence. Let's go together to God in a word of prayer, please. Our great Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and divine name. We are so thankful, Lord God, for this opportunity, for this great gift of love, to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we ask, Lord God, for your blessing upon us, that you will help us to rid our minds of all worldly thought, that we'll focus only on you and on your word and your will in your way, and that we'll remember Jesus forever, and that amazing sacrifice that was made in our behalf. Help us, please, Lord God, to be the people that you would have us to be. These things we ask and pray and thank you for, in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, if it be thy will. Amen. This morning we are going to begin thinking about uh, the subject of the, of the Godhead But in many different ways. We're going to focus this morning on the activity of Jesus. What activity of Jesus? I'm thinking of, speaking of, the activity of Jesus in the Old Testament. There's much to say on this subject. And the study of the Godhead is sometimes a bit difficult. A bit confusing sometimes in some places. But there are times when we can see clearly... Three persons of the Godhead individually manifested to us. And though we we understand that we must be very, very careful as we approach every subject in the Word of God, but in this journey, we're very cautious to try to gain a good, clear understanding. And where it's a little foggy, we we just kind of dismiss that idea and come back when God reveals it to us. Let's start with the basics. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, Jesus in in regards to creation, such a very basic uh, understanding. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. So here's the connection, if you will. As we go back to Genesis chapter 1, this is the New Testament connection to show us the Godhead. That there's the Father, and there's the Son, and the other verses in the New Testament tell us there is the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness hovered over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And so we have Father, we have Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. In verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us, which is connecting John chapter 1, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
so one could study just these few verses and and spend an awful lot of time trying to to understand and exegete this text. But again, we're looking at the activity of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. One of the things that's important is that people have said, uh, maybe in your Bible study you've heard this, they've said the God of the Old Testament is the mean God and the God of the New Testament is the nice God. Or the, right, you've heard that, right? The God of the Old Testament, well, there was no mercy and grace and the God of the New Testament is full of mercy and grace. And then there's almost this excusal then for sin. We don't really have to respect Jesus, the God of the New Testament. We only have to fear and respect the Father, the God of the Old Testament. And interestingly enough, in that whole conversation, the Holy Spirit is completely left out. But one could hardly suppose or believe that here in the beginning, uh, as time is revealed to man, God is outside of time, so he has no beginning, nor does he have an end. That in the beginning, Jesus was there, and then he just drops out of the scene for the next four to 6,000 years, however long that time period is in the Old Testament. And then he just comes back in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, Mark, Luke, and John. Genesis 3 and verse 22. After the beginning was, was brought forth and man has come to life, by the blessing of God and those years inside the garden. And then there was sin. In verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so God uh, took the man and the woman and placed them out, outside of the ark, or outside of the, 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 the garden of Eden, rather. Chapter 11 and verse 7, Jesus still, if you will, uh, as people say, on the scene, Genesis 11 and verse 7, come let us go down, let us go down the Tower of Babel there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So then people say, well, okay, so now Jesus is no longer to be found in the rest of the Old Testament, only in the New Testament. So we're going to start looking at that a little bit. But I want to skip. So we're going to do this over the next, next few lessons. Um, I want to skip to Daniel for just a moment, chapter 3. We're going to skip over uh, the next few lessons. We're going to look at, at the angel of the Lord. We're going to look at these passages and think about Jesus in the Old Testament. But do you suppose that in Daniel chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar was so angry... So angry at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he looks down to the fiery furnace, and what does he say? In Daniel 3, in verse 24. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded and said to his high officials, Was it not three men cast bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. And he answered and said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Who might you suppose that to be? Look at chapter 7. Daniel chapter 
7, beginning at verse 9. I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's the Father. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from him or before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending to him. And my rays upon my rays were standing before him. The court sat and the books were open. And then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. And I kept looking in the night vision. And behold, with clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days. And he's presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus. Everywhere you look, and I want to tell you this in advance, and then we'll show you this later. Everywhere you look, in every book of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, you will find the activity of Jesus over and over and over and over again. Back to Genesis 28. And we're going to just look at it just slowly and just just think about it more and more. And I want you to keep in mind uh, where the passage in uh, Exodus where uh, Moses ask if you will he says father let me let me see you oh god let me see you and, and god says no man can see me and live and so to find the consistency of that in the old testament and the new testament then when has anyone ever seen the father last week we looked at the passage that jesus himself declared in john 1 no one has seen the father but the son and remember the son is revealed to us as a son for our understanding not as his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in a hierarchical way. For it's God, 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 co-equal, co-substantial, and co-eternal. God manifests himself in many different ways. Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there. Because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place and he had a dream and behold a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord I want you to notice that the word Lord is in all caps and that's God's personal name right that's like going back to Exodus 3 and seeing seeing Yahweh, Jehovah, right? Going back and getting the personal name of God. The name that the Jews, the Hebrews feared to use. I am the Lord. 
the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the land which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. And then there's this New Testament mate. If you'll turn over to John chapter 1, and when you get the New Testament mate, you find that the one who's speaking is certainly Jehovah God who is speaking. It's Jesus. In John 1 in verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so here, here, Jehovah in the New Testament speaks of the, the dream in the Old Testament. And not sure where the, the fear has come. Turn to 1 Corinthians, please, chapter, uh, chapter 1, or chapter 10, rather. Where the fear has come to expose or to speak of Jehovah in the Old Testament as Jesus Christ, as well as Jehovah in the New Testament, as well as Jehovah God the Father, as well as Jehovah the Holy Spirit. And how, how we, even in the Lord's church, have come to the point to where we see a, li- a little God and a big God instead of one God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate of the same spiritual food, and all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. And we understand that passage, the rock was Christ, the rock that Moses hit. The rock was Christ. But I want you to think about the fact that they were following Jesus all through those days and in the wilderness. Genesis chapter 18. All that brings us to our point for today. That's kind of an introduction to what I want us to look at. I want us to look at the interaction of Jesus with the two angels that came with him. Abraham and Sarah. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. So here Jesus appears to Abraham, and he's talking to Abraham. He's communing with Abraham. He's manifested as a man, and he speaks to Abraham. But Abraham knows that it's the Lord, and so he identifies the Lord as Jehovah. And he says, Jehovah, dear Lord. When you continue reading, God exposes himself even more. In verse 9, he makes a promise. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? 
And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At that appointed time, I will return to you at this next time, next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Now, I know Abraham laughed, and, and that's obvious, but I want you to think about the um, um, omnipresence and omniscient God. I want you to think about the fact that this conversation is going on with Abraham, and God is making a promise, and the word Lord is being used, God's personal name, over and over again, that Jehovah is speaking. It's kind of frightening. Can you imagine that conversation when Jehovah says to you, Why'd you laugh? And then, and you think to yourself, well, how did he know I laughed? He wasn't in the tent with me. See, the reason the question was asked so that we would identify and understand that, that Jesus was in a different place from Sarai. When he said, where's your wife Sarai? And God being omnipresent and knowing these things, he says, why did you laugh? And she became frightened because Jehovah was asking her a question. But she told a lie. And then Jehovah called her on that lie. Can you imagine the fear that had to run through her bones? Look at verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? So what is Jesus about to do? Turn over to Genesis 19 and verse 23. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Jesus destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You might even say the Godhead destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's Jesus who said, this is what I am about to do. I'll come back. In just a moment. Jump all the way into the New Testament. 
And so we must take Jesus seriously while he was uh, uh, going to the cross and while he was being, uh, if you will, betrayed and while he was struggling with mankind and yet he gave himself up freely that we might live. And Peter draws his sword and is ready to fight a battle and Jesus says to them in Matthew 26 in verse 52, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? And we study that. Seventy-two thousand angels. And I'll destroy it all. Has God changed? No. God had not changed. There's a time and a place for everything, every event under heaven. There was a time for destruction and there was a time for salvation. And if Jesus had not died on the cross, every man and woman and child from Adam all the way to the last man on the earth would perish in the fiery flames of hell forever because the blood of bulls and goats cannot remove sin. And so there was a time for salvation. And that salvation came from Jesus. But there was a time for destruction. And that destruction came from Jesus. And Jesus will be our judge in the end times. And the question is, in what place in your heart do you have Jesus? Genesis, please, chapter 18. It is Jesus who destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. For God does not change. The Godhead does not change. And in Genesis 18 and verse 20, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. And I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its cruelty, or excuse me, its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Remember, as you read Deuteronomy, as you go back and you read Genesis 8, uh, chapter 18 and 19, and you continue reading, remember the Father said, no man can see me and live. So obviously it has to be Jesus. There's the connection the connection within the Word of God. And then there's the grace. Here's the grace. The grace and the mercy, even in regards to the city of Sodom. In verse 23, And Abraham came near and said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Here's why I know there's a heaven and there's a hell. Because God will not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. There will always be, and there has forever been, a separation in the mind of God. In verse 24, Suppose that there are fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? 
Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And the number, you know, goes down to ten. There were not ten people in that city who obeyed God. Behold the justice and the mercy of God. The severity and the mercy of God. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we see God in the way the world has seen God. That the God of the Old Testament is the mean God. And the God of the New Testament is the new God, the nice God rather. And so when judgment day comes, we don't really have to be truly faithful. Because the God of the New Testament is different from the God of the Old Testament. I'm going to show you. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. There was a time, there was a place, the Bible says, that God in former days winked at ignorance. But now is declaring that all men come to repentance. And that's in Acts 17. See, God, God in Acts 14, let the people go their own way. God in the Old Testament was bringing them to the Christ. Galatians chapter 3. The Old Testament is a tutor that leads us to Jesus. Galatians chapter 3. And God declares that all of us must repent. Hebrews chapter 1. I wonder, I wonder how we see the Christ, the Savior. I wonder if our hearts take Him as seriously as maybe the God of the Old Testament, as the world says. As if The Godhead has changed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as revealed or manifested to us. Hebrews says, chapter 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. So imagine for just a moment, as we begin to wrap this lesson up, you're doing all kinds of acts of kindness to people. And you're hoping that, you know, they'll just love you back. And you've declared these people your people. And, and all you ask is for them to, to love you back. And, and everything they have, you gave it to them. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, the Father above, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. And, and they identify all of these good gifts as coming from you. But instead, the people abuse your gifts and abuse your love. They don't take you seriously. And they really don't have their hearts open to you. And, and they, and they give you a portion of themselves, but not a whole lot of themselves. 
Would you still send your son? Would you send yourself? Would you come to save them? Or would you be done? Now, honestly, you know, all of us would probably say, maybe I'll just speak for myself, I'd be done. I'm not going to change. Why waste my time? Why sacrifice my life for them? Well, that's not, thank God, that's not how God operates. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are so merciful and kind and tender. And so Jesus came and he gave himself. He laid his life down. Not a bone was broken. He sacrificed himself for us. I wonder, I wonder if the Father who has given all judgment to the Son will say to us on that day, where was I in your heart? 25%? 50%? Where did I fit into your life? The scope of your mind. When you look at all the things that I've given you, what have you done with it as stewards? I wonder, like Sarah in the tent, if the father will say, and Tony, why did you lie? Hebrews 2, verse 1. For this reason... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through the angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was first spoken through the Lord? It was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Am I paying attention? And not just paying attention, but paying a much closer attention. Or, or, or is this day one of the most boring days for you of the week? When I was taught the gospel, I was being taught the gospel. A brother, uh, Bernard Benjamin, he, uh, he brought me to the Church of Christ. It was the most boring day of my life. I mean, all the preacher did was read from the Bible, and there wasn't anything excited. The people just sang songs, and I thought, is this it? And then I thought about it for a moment. Wait a minute. If I came to hear God's word, what else was he supposed to do? And if they're singing songs to God, why couldn't I recognize the blessing of that and give it my all? No, what I did was, I just continued to think about myself. I wanted to be entertained. And God is not a God who entertains. He's a God to be worshipped. 
The God of the Old Testament was never a God to be entertained. The God of the New Testament is never a God to be entertained. But rather a God to be worshipped. This morning, have we worshipped our God? Singing at the top of our lungs, with all of our mind, heart, and soul. Listening intentively, clinging to the words, reading the scriptures, magnifying and glorifying our God. Was that us this morning? Or maybe I should ask, was that you individually? The lesson this morning is yours. If you are not a child of God, we encourage you to surrender to Jesus. After having heard his word through studies and believed, and having godly sorrow in your heart, and a willingness to repent, to confess his name before men, be baptized, immersed in water for the remission, for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're struggling this morning in your relationship with God, I encourage you to repent. If you need prayers made in your behalf, I encourage you to make those known. Please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation if we can help in any way.